0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about Josh Hall's newly signed two-way deal, how that impacts the Thunder's roster, some of the names to keep tabs on, and I'm also going to be doing the Summer League Award Show. And if you guys have not already kind of kept tabs, I know You know, I I think I've kept it since about six months. You had the mid-season award show, the G League award show, and even the final regular season award show. But how we do it on the Thundersticks podcast, one person only gets one award. You know, there's going to be guys like an SGA, for example, from last year, like Moses Brown, the G League. They just take every single accolade possible. And, you know, I feel like even though they are deserving of it, Is pretty nice to share around the medallion. So that's kind of how those things are going to work. Also, if the opening of this podcast is a little bit quieter, my apologies. It should get a little bit louder as time progresses, though. We got to talk about Josh Hall, man. And the thing with him is this. We saw him at the end of last season. This guy really didn't play. He had a knee injury. He had health and safety protocols. Just kind of bouncing back and forth, keeping him from play. He got into that final regular season game against the Clippers. Had 25 points, like 10 or 11 rebounds. Looks like he secured himself a contract. And it was enough for him to get a bone fetch to him. And he got a restricted offer or a qualifying offer extended to him from the Thunder. And... Going into free agency, we didn't hear his name. Really, the Thunder, they haven't been too active. Outside of getting Muscala back and making that favors deal, they're just waiting to see kind of how the market shapes out. And because of it, guys like Josh Hall, guys like Jalen Horde, they were kind of lost. And we got the first two-way contract deal secured prior to the summer league starting in Aaron Wiggins, pick 55. It might have been after game one, but it's pretty early on. Like We kind of expected him to be part of the rotation, because, you know, if you're going to select a guy, you want him. So we got on a two-way deal, just leaves one left, and we didn't know who it was going to go to. We didn't know if it was going to go to Josh Hall, Jalen Horde, Vic Kredge, potentially, if he would have met the criteria for that, and we got our answer, because yesterday, we got reports from Keith Smith That Josh Hall was the guy who took that two-way contract. So, originally the Thunder got him on that two-way deal like immediately after the 2020 draft. Around pick 55, they made this phone call. So, it wasn't like, you know, everything was done for. There was like an hour of sitting time. No, the Thunder, they were gunning at Josh Hall and they got him... Like I said, you know, he kind of did have those unique circumstances where the injuries kind of held him back. He had that one promising game, and that was it for him. And going into Summer League, it was a really big point of his, or it was just a big point in general that he needed to succeed because he was kind of in a spot where he was in no man's land. If he just flopped all five games, chances are the Thunder were not going to take him. And through three and maybe even four games, you could call it, Josh Hall was not all that impressive, but he got his act together in the final game. And that's really what kind of secured him a spot here. And just like it did in the regular season, just that one glimpse, this is a six foot nine point forward and jump out of the gym. I mean, people want a guy like that, and he's only 20 years old. So when you're strumming out 17 points, 7 rebounds in a closeout game... And you're dunking on people like on the move. That's going to garner you some attention. And that's kind of, you know, what steered the way for him to get this deal. But when you look at kind of how this shapes things up, you want to check the roster perspective. Both of the two-way contracts have been secured now. You can't exceed that. And then you only have 15 NBA contracts. And this is kind of interesting. Like when you want to go into the mock of what the Thunder's roster actually looks like right now. There's 14 people already on the roster, and if you want to include the two two two-way guys, that's fine. That's 16 out of 17. You want to check who's still not signed from the previous ThunderCore or, you know, who we have rights to? Jalen Horde does not have a deal, and neither does Vit Kredge. And guess what? You have Charlie Brown Jr. here who... You can kind of say if you want to add him to this list or not, but he is technically on the roster. It's like a training camp deal where it's non-guaranteed, so you can cut the guy. I mean, you're not paying him out until probably a couple weeks or months, but, you know, he's kind of just there, and they're going to have a lot of decisions to make. I mean, you look at what the roster looks like, specifically when you're looking at the four and the five. You got Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, Baisley, and Poku. They're going to be back. You might bring back Roby. Well, he's going to be back, obviously. Probably as like a power forward and center now just due to necessity. But you want to check things out. You got Muscala. You have Derek Favors. Is I don't think Favors is like a Darius Miller type where you just cut him immediately. Um, well, actually with Miller, they really didn't. They waited until like February or March to do so. But maybe you'd want to cut a guy like that, get some more young talent. Because there is still this pool of specifically crunchy and then Jalen Horde, of course. So they got to kind of get to the bottom of this sooner rather than later. I honestly expected Kredge to be signed by the Thunder um, like a month ago or probably even like later than that because or earlier, I guess, because you check out his kind of history. They traded up to get him, and the two picks, granted, they were not really that good, um, so don't put a ton of stock into it, but they moved up from 53 to 37 to get him. And then he comes over, he tore his ACL, and instead of staying with his club, Zaragoza, he went to the Thunder in January. This guy's torn his ankle, he's in the middle of rehab, he cannot step foot on a basketball court, and he's just there in the city. He's been here for upwards of six months now. I just can't really envision, you know, the Thunder wanting to part ways with this guy, especially when he is exactly like Everyone else that the Thunder is molding. You look at Pokashevsky, seven feet tall. This guy's a 7'3 wingspan, perimeter player. You check out Josh Giddy. They're taking him sixth. This guy's a six foot seven point guard. Maybe even six eight if you want to side that way too. I've even seen reports of six foot nine. Like he is really tall, and he's more of just a playmaker. When it comes down to shooting, that's kind of his blank spot. Crunchy, he's six foot eight. he's probably 21 years old now And his forte is dialing up some pretty good passes And he shot in the mid-30s with Zaragoza previously So he can shoot a little bit When you look at his slashing ability If he comes back to full swing Because of course, you know, a torn ACL That can kind of rattle you for a little bit He can sky up And he's not someone who's going to put his head up to the rim Or anything like that but, you know, in transition, he's going to kind of surprise you. I mean, you look at that one Josh Giddy breakaway jam, like in the first 10 seconds of Summer League ball, that's stuff that Kredgey can do. And I don't know if you want to grade that as just not being athletic. You know, if you want to call Giddy non-athletic, I guess Kredgey falls in that category, but I do think he deserves some credit for that because, you know, he can dunk it. But I think more importantly, it's a physical guard who is willing to just take contact from everywhere. He wants to absorb the contact. He's playing in a league where you don't get the calls all that often. I think in the G League setting or in the NBA, he would be getting those calls. Now, if the Thunder want to go Exhibit 10 with him, they could try that. Personally, I don't know how it works. I feel like his market is enough to the point where you'd actually consider signing him and i've actually seen and heard that Crenchy, if you want a guy like him you already bought out his contract you need to put him on a guaranteed deal i don't think a two-way contract fits and i don't think an exhibit 10 fits look at friends blindberg who didn't get picked this uh last draft he was projected to go mid second didn't go didn't go late second The thing with him was he needed a guaranteed contract to get out of his current deal overseas. And I don't understand how it works, you know. I think I know fairly well, like, NBA cap and, like, luxury tax, like, all that stuff. I have zero clue whenever you take it to the European setting or just anywhere else outside the NBA— it gets awkward, and I think vren got caught in that crossfire, obviously, because he signed with another club overseas. Crutchie might be in that same group, too, to where you actually need to give him that final roster spot. And for Jalen Horde, I'll talk about him and his summer league play. He, this is a guy who, you know, actually outperformed his contract. He comes in, exhibit 10 deal... With the blue, you have Poku playing above him, and you have a lot of other guys kind of manning the show. Moses Brown and Omer Yurtseven are playing like all-stars. Kind of had to hide in the shadows for a little bit, but he was consistent the whole way, and he joins the Thunder. Same deal. He was one of the lone bright spots in some of these contests, and I distinctly remember like maybe a week or two into his deal where he posted like 16 points 16, 18, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, he just goes out there, and he's really aggressive around the basket. He's getting all these free throws. I mean, they had a dedicated segment, Nick Gallo and Paris Lawson. Dedicated segment to this guy and just how he plays. He has been a pretty solid interior person now. He needs to branch out from three, of course, but this is another moldable 22-year-old who has shown some prowess playing at the four. And you're looking at what the Thunder have. They're looking to get 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, whatever the case may be. Stick them on the roster. You'd be good to go right there. So I think Jalen Horde plugs in. So does Crutchy. Maybe even Rob Edwards does too. This is going to be a discussion I probably will have to inflate past just today because this will be a really interesting kind of turn of events to see where the Thunder want to go with this. But this deal with Josh Hall kind of does, you know, make things a lot tighter here. And whenever I say this, you know, Josh Hall deserved this two-way contract. And I even said a month ago, two months ago, you know, if a team wanted to throw like a two-year minimum or something, kind of like what Yurt7 got, like a one-year guaranteed, next-year non-guaranteed, I probably would actually match that contract. Because I think with what you have and the mold Josh Hall has, He's kind of a different style from what we currently have at that three position. And you can say Poku's like it, you know, with the way he plays at the perimeter, he can kind of attack. I think that's actually a terrible comparison, right? I don't think there's a guy on this Thunder roster at the small forward that actually kind of meshes with this play style. I guess Baisley might be the person you'd want to compare him to because he is a six foot nine guy. You know, he does like handling around the perimeter. And I think attacking is kind of where he makes his name when it comes to threes You know they are kind of of the nature to where they can create for themselves they're going to be open but they can't really dial it in every single time so he does have a lot of growing to do as a player but i'm really excited to see you know just how he progresses because when you want to check out the potential players left i don't think anyone has as moldable clay as he does in terms of how you want to make this guy in the next two three years and guess what two-way contract This does really nothing for you salary-wise. So if he doesn't perform, if he looks bad with the blue or probably the Thunder, I think they're going to just use all 50 of those games like they will with Aaron Wiggins. You know, you don't really lose much here. Like the Thunder were giving away $4 million to TJ Leaf. They're paying Kyle Singler probably more than what they're paying Josh Hall. Um, You know, he gets paid like a million for the next two, three seasons. So, you know, they can splurge a little bit here and put this investment in. Low risk, high reward here. I've always thought that Josh Hall does have the potential to grow into an NBA player. The pallet offensively is big. If you guys want to hear about him, you know, we haven't seen a lot of game time from him. You guys can listen to the recap I did for the Spurs. You guys can also just listen to one of my really old ones where I actually broke down the Thunder's Four draft picks, or I guess four acquisitions from the 2020 draft. That's going to be really far back in that playlist. But I really talked about Hall for like 20 minutes there. So that can be a good listen for you guys. But yeah, Josh Hall deserves it. Athletic Monster has a lot of areas he can kind of fill in, but he's shown flashes everywhere. So I think this is a perfect pickup for the Thunder. Seeing him walk would have just been an absolute monstrosity. So we're going to take it. But, anyways, moving past Josh Hall, everything going on there, I want to talk about the Summer League. And had a day to digest things here. Didn't have a pod yesterday. Trying to fix that schedule, guys. Trust me, I'm gonna be going back. Um, trying to be a little bit more consistent, obviously. But when you want to check things out, you know, there was a lot going on. You had that one game for the Thunder. Yesterday you had the actual championship, the Kings were able to take that one. Honestly, if you would have told me that a week ago, I would have laughed at you. Like they have Davion Mitchell and I think Queda is there from Utah State. I don't know anybody else in that roster and I might be a fool uh, for saying that. I haven't really delved into what they have to offer, but I would have thought like the Pistons or the Rockets would have been there. Nope. You know, the Kings go from bottom of the barrel in the California Classic to top of the mountain here. For the Thunder, they only got two wins, you know, first game and then last game. You know, you don't really focus on the middle anyways. so who cares? But, you know, they had a couple of good moments, and I think there are some players I do want to highlight. So I'm going to go down five separate categories, and then obviously I'm just going to branch it out to everybody, because I think everybody does have a little bit of talking. Like, some played less than others, obviously. But, yeah, I, I think it's important to talk about everybody here and potentially... You know what, their route might be beyond what we saw from them in Las Vegas. So, I have MVP, I got rookie of the year, six man, defensive player of the year, and most improved. You guys are probably going to laugh at me at some of these um, grades that I do give. And it's because, look, I can put Teo, I can put Jeremiah Robinson everywhere I want to, but I'm not going to do that because you know, I got to talk about everybody here, right? I'm not just going to put the spotlight on one or two guys who deserve it, obviously, but I'm trying to share that love, kind of keep you all updated. So I'm going to start with MVP here. That's going to go to Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And I actually thought about giving it to Teo. Like, I feel like a co-MVP might actually make sense in this area. I'll talk about Teo, Uh, in long detail but yeah I mean if you're talking the vote distribution I'd say Jeremiah Robinson Earl gets this by like a vote or two it's really narrow because Teo and Jeremiah Robinson Earl they kind of played hand in hand I'd say their play styles were a little bit different you had Teo as that main distributor because Giddy was hurt as for Jeremiah Robinson Earl this is just your you know front court piece getting the dump off passes even popping it up from outside think it's just his overall collection of skills though that we saw that puts him on top and gives him the most valuable player and when you want to check out what JRE did in these games he led the team in scoring with 12 points 7.4 rebounds to go with it 1.8 assists 1.4 steals and 0.8 blocks you want to check out what he did from distance this was a pretty sweet number from him he shot 33% from distance shooting 3.6 attempts a game. Look at the foul line. Shot 66%, like just a clean cut one third. I'm not going to put a ton of stock into this. And you guys can say like summer league numbers don't matter, whatever. I think that he deserves to be talked about just um, from what we saw with him. And you know, when we originally traded for him, moved up two spots to get him at 32 with the Knicks. I'm not so sure. Like my... Obvious opinion, and I think a lot of people probably share this. When this deal initially broke, I don't know if I was too happy. I think a lot of people were looking at the JT Thors, the Miles McBrides, even beyond that, like Sharif Cooper was still there. You could take two major swings at 34 and at 36. Granted, we didn't know if they would be there, but you know, both of them actually were past that point. Those two guys, if you're looking for the highest ceiling, those are the people you look at. Sharif dominated in the summer league play, JT Thor had his bright spots. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, this is a 20 year old who maybe doesn't gleam this like superstar aroma or a star aroma like Sharif. I had him 14th on my board or JT Thor. I had him in my top 18. I don't even know. I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl was in the back end of mine, uh, actually, but yeah, he was meant to come in as this like low floor or high floor, maybe lower ceiling than most because his palette is just so widespread. He's good at finishing. He's good at passing. He's good on the defensive side. He can guard fours and fives, maybe even slide down to threes in stints. And that's exactly what he did. He was just the perfect puzzle piece that kind of made things work because if you would have replaced Jeremiah Robinson Earl with a guy like an Emmett Williams or a De Silva in that starting unit, everything would have just broke because the beauty about Jeremiah Robinson Earl and the beauty of a guy like Roby When you want to hound down on these like preseason games and even in the regular season, I mean they bring that speed, and typically you're playing the flat-footed seven-footers, the G League guys who they are good interiorly, but they can't defend on the perimeter. They normally have a hard time making reads on high ball screens. You can just eat them alive, and that's what Jeremiah Robinson Earl was really able to do. Now, when you want to check out the duo, I already mentioned it, Teo Maladone could be the co-MVP. Seriously. Him working with JRE in those high ball screens were just magnificent because it opened Teo two threes, it opened him two dribble drives, but also, most of the time, it led to Jeremiah Robinson Earl actually getting the basketball, and he was popping out to the three, that's where you saw those 3.6 attempts. Granted, some of those were just catch and shoots, no one's guarding the man, but you would see like once or twice in a game where he would set a high ball screen, or even at the free throw line, he'd set a screen, and he'd want to creep back outside, and the centers just were not really able to get back on him, because Teo, he was bringing a lot uh, to the table uh, in in the Pistons game, for sure, I would say. You know, nobody, Tyler Cook, whoever you want to say the center was, Garza, Garza, having issues when it came to those screens, and you could have him just pop out and hit the jumpers. And, you know, he was better in some games as opposed to the other ones. I think when you look at his team collectively, though, like nobody really cemented themselves as a three-point shooter. Like people are shooting one of eight and two out of the five games. The other ones, they will look fine, but on paper, they would look terrible. I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl was like one of the very few, though, to where every single game from three pretty similar numbers, like maybe a one of four games, the bad egg, but that's much better than what we saw from a lot of these other guys. So he just asserted himself as this solid three-point guy, but also the big thing is when you want to check out him rolling to the basket, because you do trip up the centers. Teo, he's probably one of the best... You know, passers that were in or that was in the summer league this year, you know, and there are a lot of great passers, especially out of this draft class. But we've seen him cross court, no look when he's driving inside, he's looking to make the dump offs. Like, he was able to put Jeremiah Robinson Earl in the perfect situations, and he could just slash in easy layups. You know, one of the big ones, it was either the Pacers game or the Spurs game, but he gets it off of a cut. I actually think, um, The beneficiary was Aaron Wiggins on this one. But Wiggins throws in this bounce pass from the right wing, goes to a rolling Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and instead of just going up for the dunk, I mean, he just sits there under the restricted area. You got his man just flying right over the top of him. He wants to prone. He crouches down to get below him. He soars over him. He has a wide-open layup there. And then even off the normal rolls to the basket, you didn't have a lot of side help coming in. And on the off chance there was... It didn't really affect the guy. Like he's got a 6'3, like puny guard trying to play help from his left side, and you know, he's already slashing in from the left side. Easiest right-hand layup of his life, right? He could probably dunk it if he wanted to. So, I mean, he was just good fundamentally when it came to getting to his spots. You know, when it comes to the X factor, was he taking over games? I would say no. Did he have those little spurts where he's dropping six or eight points at a time, though? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's the big thing. You know, it's important though. You know, he wasn't really creating for himself all that often. I think a lot of people were talking about the self-creation ability with him. And there were definitely times where we saw that. I don't know if in a half-court setting it was really as prevalent. But in a fast break, yeah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was actually really good. And I didn't expect him to be that way. You know, I've heard that he's kind of faster for most at that five position if you want to play him up there. But he was trying to take the ball coast to coast sometimes and he had a decent handle on the ball where he's able to do moving crossovers doing between the legs trying to dish the basketball off like I was loving it watching him. So I mean <laughs> the 1.8 assists. Yeah, you want to cut it up. There probably were some games where really like one or two, but he was came to getting steals. And when you want to check where the steals were coming from, is it him at the top of the key just poking the ball loose? No, not really. I mean, there's a, oftentimes there's a lot of turnovers in the preseason, the summer league, even G League games. Like people are just trying to get their shots, and there's a lot of clumsy mistakes. Especially, you know, wide open, you're driving in. Jeremiah Robinson could just be there to snag the ball, but he was also making plays in the passing lane, going for the loose basketballs. I might even I could put him at defensive player just based off of the steal number alone. But also the blocks, I mean, you're checking him, he's doing pin down blocks, chasing people down, had this one play against Trey Murphy, he's trying to posterize him, Murphy almost posterized him, I mean, he gets like a fingertip block where his hand must be like 11 feet up, like he had to soar up to get the ball, it was a clean block, they didn't call it a clean block, um, and, the, and the Pelicans won that game of course, but he was just making statement plays everywhere. And even when he was going up against guards, I mean, Cade Cunningham in his debut was trying to drive right on Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He wanted to get that off of the switch. Cade Cunningham's 6'8". JRE's like 6'8", 6'9". So, you know, height-wise, they kind of match up. Cade Cunningham doesn't have the explosive first step like a guy like a Trey Mann or a Jalen Green would have. So he was not just sliding right by him. He was making it difficult for Cade. And that's why Cade was actually relatively pretty bad in his debut as opposed to some of the other ones. So, I mean, with Jeremiah Robinson Earl, it was just everything that you wanted to see from him kind of happened. And it was a pretty sweet surprise for him. 32nd pick, you know, you're not seeing a 20 point scorer on this team, but when you're checking consistency, I mean, he was there throughout his five games. So I was really happy uh, with what I saw from him. Moving beyond that though, I want to go rookie of the year. And if the MVP is a rookie, naturally he would be the rookie of the year. We can't do that. New rules, not happening. Aaron Wiggins takes it. And he's probably in the top three or four guys in terms of best performers. He averaged 11.2 points, 4.8 rebounds, 2.4 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.2 blocks, And then from downtown, didn't really shoot all that well. Shot just 20% on four tries a game. And this was kind of surprising from him. like From the get-go, when I did my draft recap, when I talked about him, even in the G League Combine episodes... He was meant to come into this as a catch and shoot guy. You put him in the corner. You put him on the wing. You let Josh Giddey play. You let Trey Mann play, and then he's just there to reap the benefits of a wide open jumper. And defensively, he's like a six foot seven wing, so he can take the two or the three. Hell, I mean, they're playing super small. Take the four sometimes. Like I don't really care. Like he can just play wherever you need to. But he was predominantly meant to be there defensively, and then offensively. His game was just revolving around you know that jump shot of his, and it just never worked. The jumper never really came to fruition with him, and it's because I actually think he was never in that catch and shoot setting. So you're shooting four times a game. Now obviously that's not the most you saw. You know I would think it would it was Rob Edwards. It was actually Teo shooting the most threes on the roster, but four still relatively high. You know he's taking these kind of moving around and you never got to see him in a sedentary position and I actually really like the fact we saw that and I think it just kind of came naturally like you had the injury from Josh Giddy, like a minute into play like he sticks around for five but really that's not the big point he's gone after a minute and then Trey Man he's dealing with personal issues he really was ball heavy <laughs> in those games though of course but he, he only played two games Then you have those three games where you're just kind of searching for somebody to fill the gashes. And even prior to that, Aaron Wiggins was kind of cementing himself off that second unit as a ball handler because Teo had to be the point guard. Who's going to be your backup point guard? Ryan Woolridge wasn't getting a lot of playing time. Rob Edwards, he's kind of not a point guard. They were trying to utilize him there and Aaron Wiggins sure as hell is not, so they almost were playing positionless one through five on that second unit, and because of it, you saw a lot of half-court reps from Aaron Wiggins where he's taking it from the top of the key, and he's looking to dish it out to people. He's looking to create a play for himself. 2.4 assists in this game. I would not have imagined he even had like two, two assists in a game, right? Like, that would be probably the higher higher clip there he's dropping like five assists in some of these contests and it's because he was able to get down to the gears of this defense down in the teeth get in the paint and make plays for himself and the biggest part from him was what he was doing inside and he's not a guy who has a really tight handle like he's not crossing people up or anything but he was almost brute forcing his way inside like he didn't have the corner every time but he didn't need the corner. He didn't need the step. He just needed to be right next to you. He would buddy along with you, and then he'd take it, drive it right, kind of be around the elbow area. That's where he makes his movements inside. And he's like five to eight feet behind that, or back to the basket almost. And, you know, he's still churning. He's got the forward momentum. You got his matchup kind of linking arms with them right there. He breaks the seal by planting his foot down, using a pivot just stopping out of nowhere and he's not really fast so it worked out for him but he just pivots spins backwards and then just takes a hook takes a layup he shut his defender like every time off of doing that and even got to the point where he was comfortable taking you know doing these like pivot foots spin jumpers almost where you know was he just profusely contested he absolutely was everybody was kind of swarming the man but he was still taking these jump shots and you know he had a lot of confidence and I'd almost him be overconfident than just be playing passive like you look at what Baisley did I always bring him up for some of these examples but like you know he was super passive in the back end of last year he didn't want to take the three-point shot because of it there's this ripple effect where people aren't going to guard him if he wants to slash inside well you know, there's already a center inside. You have Moses Brown playing and even Tony Bradley. So, you know, just tiny things like that can hurt you. And he never shut away from taking shots, driving inside. He wanted to play a guard role and he was successful in doing so. And even beyond the post play that we saw from him, just the pull up jumpers were pretty clean when it came to getting to the foul line to a game 1.8 to be specific. Like that's still good with me. So, He was just well-rounded, and I think off of this, he actually proved himself to be a guy who's not just going to be playing in the G League. I think he's going to be getting genuine minutes uh, with the Thunder. Now, how does it shake up when you already have Kenrich Williams and guys like that there already? Truthfully, I don't know. I think it's a very hard problem to solve, and there might still be transactions looming, Uh, but he, you know, for what we're doing here, he deserves a shot, and he's just like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, where I'd say... The floor is pretty high with him. The ceiling's not. This is just a really good bench player you can have. Like I think Kenny Hustle is kind of the mold you'd want to play him in because I wouldn't compare him that way. You saw the mid-range, you saw the interior game, not as many rebounds really offensively that you'd see from Kenny Hustle, but he was still getting down there. I think you'd want to play him to where, you know, he kind of does become the jack of all trades on offense, then on defense. His size can really uh, take him to a lot of different places. So Aaron Wiggins, great stuff from him. I don't know, like I mentioned, like how he's going to work, but this is a perfect like three and D wing. The Thunder are just addicted to. They get him for crazy value. He was dominant in the G League Combine, dominant in the NBA Combine, dominant in the Summer League. We'll see how that transitions to the next level. But moving on. I have the six-man award, and this isn't even close. Like, even if Aaron Wiggins was down here, I'm giving it to Rob Edwards, and I have been obsessing over this man for so long. When we're talking February, March, this was the guy, and he was able to get his opportunity, and boy, oh boy, he took it, he ran with it, and he's probably going to find himself a very good contract. I don't know if it's with the OKC Blue. I think if it's a straight-up Exhibit 10 with him that'd be ridiculous you know he um he definitely as much as it hurts to say this like he's definitely outplayed that I think he could if he wanted to and there's probably offers on the table he could probably play overseas I don't know if he'd get a two-way deal or something to the tune of that from another franchise but he's one of the best guys out there playing basketball when we're checking G League he's top 10 maybe even top five percent Bench-wise, this dude was top 5% easily. You did not find any sort of production, uh, especially scoring the basketball like you did with Rob Edwards in the backcourt. And that's what he did for the Thunder. And he starts out a little bit slow. He didn't get those gears going until he played against the Golden State Warriors. And this is something I've told y'all to monitor. This is a player... Who does come from that same cusp as a franklin jackson or from a guy like a jordan clarkson just the microwaves you're not gonna hit 10 out of 10 shots or go 6 out of 10 every single game you're gonna shoot one of eight you're gonna shoot one of nine and that's just how it is but there are gonna be those games where you're dropping crazy numbers shooting above 50 percent going like 8 of 16 leading your team in scoring that's exactly what he did against the warriors He put the team on his back. You don't have Giddy. I think Trey Mann might have even been gone. That was the first game you didn't have him. I think Cameron Woods was the new head coach. Like, there was just so much that needed to be sorted out there. But he just comes in, and he just plays his style of basketball, which is, give me the ball, get out of the way, I'm going to put up points for you guys, and that's that. Just take his threes, take his pull-ups. Ryan Woolridge teeing off some beautiful entry passes, pulling off some great you know, just dishes to him at the wing and he's able to convert, you know, very well. I mean, he shot 44% on six attempts from distance with a blue. He shot 33% uh, in his five summer league, or yeah, five summer league games. But, you know, I'd still say he was still very, very damn impressive. And you want to check his overall numbers, kind of a bit of a discredit to him. It's 11.2 points, had 1.4 rebounds and 0.6 assists mentioned the 33% uh from distance shooting 5.4 attempts a game on those. And when you want to check out Rob, you don't really want to highlight this 11.2. Like that is just you know, it, it doesn't really tell you the full story. He drops 23 against the Warriors, drops 23 against the Spurs, and you got to keep in mind against the Spurs, they weren't even intending on playing Rob Edwards that many minutes. They were not giving him that crazy role. Cameron Woods puts him in for all like five minutes, it felt like, probably even less in that first half. Truthfully, I don't even remember him playing in that first half, but he goes in, he plays, he scores two points off of like a breakaway jam. He just couldn't hit shots anywhere though. And you move on to that second half, third quarter, like five minutes to go. He gets plugged in, immediately hits you with the three-pointer, gets inside, five points in a span of like 30, 40 seconds has to be a timeout called. And then you go back in and he's just dominating again, shot after shot, like 15 or 17 points in that quarter alone. And he's taking people isolation. You could have guys wide open in the corner and you know, would you want him to kick it out? Absolutely. But he was feeling it. He'd still take it. He'd still yield some success there. And he was just great. So the two 23 point performances, I don't even remember if anyone else dropped 20 on this roster. I think he's the only guy to do it, does it two times. And on average, he's only playing 17 and a half minutes. Like he is a straight up bucket getter. He's 24, which is the one turnoff. Like if he's 21, I feel like the Thunder would have to sign this guy. I still want the Thunder to sign him. Um, And I mentioned before, like I'll talk about him in detail, probably in the next week or so. But he does give me the flashes of Frank Jackson where you bring him in he does everything you need in the preseason and he still doesn't cut it and you know you already have this log jam you just got Aaron Wiggins I almost feel like you need a front court guy but if you're talking true talent this is the best score that you had in the G League last year this was the best score you had on this blue roster and when you're checking the whole entire summer league I mean, people were shooting, like, freaking 20 times a game, like, over that, like, Cam Thomas, co-MVP, he drops 28 a game, shooting, like, 22 times, Edwards only shot 10 times a game, you want to ramp that up to 20, now you're looking at him scoring in the 20s, and he would have been doing that easily if you gave him that starting bid, but kind of got pushed away, he, uh, he proved himself, though, and, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he kind of um shapes up and what his next path would be because you know he is a very special scorer but moving beyond that i want to talk about defensive player of the year and i would put two guys ahead i put jre above him obviously aaron wiggins above him i just had to go for scraps here and i'm gonna get laughed at because this is a guy who i actually don't think i don't think he performed that well um truthfully in the summer league I'm giving it to Charlie Brown Jr. though, and it's because he had a couple flashes defensively. Offensively, absolutely not, right? Like, he could not hit the side of a barn. He was forcing way too many shots. Like, I can go on. It was not good from him, though. Uh, Defensively, he did a decent job clamping people up and multi-positional. That's the tag he got, he showed that at times. You had that one major play against the Pistons where Cade's going for his hallmark step back. He's able to close the distance, block the shot. Cade, he's not giving up on the play. He ends up stepping in for a afterwards. But he was going in, trying to close out in those corners. And especially when you had those corner threes, he did an excellent job just closing out. Some of them would still fall in. But the big deal was the perimeter defense. And even working inside, I mean, he was solid there. He averaged 1.2 blocks a game, though. And it came from the closeouts perimeter-wise. When people are slashing in, he made an impact. 0.4 steals, that's nothing to, like, go crazy about. Um, But he still kind of had his uh, head into things when it came to picking the ball loose. I'm just going to go over his whole entire game, though. Like, when you check out what he did performance-wise... 4.4 4.4 points a game, 4.4 rebounds and 0.8 assists. That's like what Emmett Williams was doing with Ago Caliente last year and I can almost assure you Emmett Williams got brought into this Thunder team as like one of the final picks um, because his numbers were just not that impressive. I'll talk about Emmett in a little bit, but you know those are not numbers to go wild about and if you're seeing 4.4, you're thinking this guy's off the bench, he's not shooting that much. No, absolutely not. This guy starts pretty much every game, maybe outside of one. uh, And he's shooting 7.2 attempts a game, 27.8 from the floor. And from three, he shoots 12.5% on over three attempts a game. So he just could not find any sort of rhythm in these contests. And I don't know, like, is he going to lose his roster spot over this? I've been of the mindset like he was great in the G League. He's already I think 23 years old now. I might be off like a year, so my apologies. I'll I'll get that to you. Um but yeah, I mean he's not like a 19 20 year old to where, you know, you can almost consider this passable. He's 24 by the way. Um turns 25 in February. Uh but like you don't have that kind of excuse anymore, I would say. And he was great with the Iowa Wolves, don't get me wrong. Uh, and I think with the Thunder, like, we didn't really get to see him in a great situation. Like, the Thunder were not successful. I think that might have impacted him. But this was a clean slate for him, and he just kind of reverted to ways of just shot chucking, and I think his typical role should be like what Jalen Hoard does, except when you're wide open from three, you better take that shot. You take it or you drive inside. Those are your two options. You don't go pulling up baseline. You don't chuck shots inside inside the paint with three guys there. Uh, and that's what he was doing. I think he was in survival mode, and can you blame him? Like, he needs a contract, obviously, Um, but he just didn't really perform on the offensive end. I will say defensively, though, he did all right, and because he can play the two or the three, maybe, just maybe, Sam Presti's still salivating to the point where he'll give him another contract or something, but, you know, uh, it was just one of those deals. I think, we've kind of all become accustomed, like he's not the greatest offensive player, but he did all right defensively. I don't know if it makes up that distance though, because he made a major margin to cover. Uh, moving on though, to the final actual word I'm going to give, I'll hone in on everybody else, of course, uh, in a second, but I got Emmett Williams as the most improved player and he averaged... Really, when you check it, seven point five points a game, had three rebounds a game, and point five assists. Kind of just want to give this one with an asterisk, just like with Rob Edwards. Not really the true story here. I mean, he dropped fifteen, I believe, in the in his um, in the in the final game. Yeah, he's going six of six. He had two of two from three, and then he's still getting a decent amount of rebounds. So it's a bit different. And this is what I say when I'm stretching the boundaries. Like I could give this to a Jalen Horde or. A Josh Hall like somebody else obviously but I feel like they you know they kind of showed us what we expected with Emmett Williams I fully anticipated for him to just not really play and he didn't really play much so if you want to go into game requirements dude pretty pretty much just played one real game but it's in the final game just like Josh Hall now you kind of start like you know moving your mustache around like hey could he really be something uh beyond the summer league and i think for him you know a blue gig would work we don't have any front court players remaining and i don't think he signed overseas maybe like an oscar de silva is now but yeah he he was shooting it from three when it came to the dunks inside like he's not uber athletic or anything but you know he'll get you with the rim grazers right below the basket he's looking to tear it down so i was happy with what i saw now You know, was there enough footage to give you a full in depth play on him? Probably not, but you know, in those garbage time minutes, he really did make the most of it. So I would say the leap from really being the bottom of Aguacaliente's roster to a pretty good bright spot in the final game, that's going to give him the award. And I think he's probably ecstatic over getting that based on um, how little he actually got the opportunity to play. But Moving on from that, I just want to briefly touch up on everybody else on this roster. And, you know, we'll see how long this goes. This is a pretty pretty long episode compared to most. Um, But I'm saying that because I'm in a new spot. So, you know, 30 minutes, it's about where I've been at. But, you know, this is pretty good stuff to kind of hone in on. And you go to the other guys who I didn't mention. Teo's the clear one. I kind of said he could have been that co-MVP really could be the MVP if you want to argue him above the other. I think it's kind of just reversible. Either way, I'm happy with it. But he averages 9.8 points a game. And the big deal was everywhere else. I mean, 4.2 rebounds and 6.4 assists. You can tally up the remainder of this Thunder roster. I don't think they're dropping 9 assists a game. You know, and then you look at Teo, he's doing six. And it's because he's being that dribble drive, just specialist. He sees all nine other players on the court. He knows where everybody's going to be at. And I think that's why guys like JRE really prospered. And even a guy like Aaron Wiggins too, to where they were open enough to kind of convert on some of their shots. Just give me the, you know, the easy, give me ones. Like he was just delivering them. Time and time again. The big thing though that I liked was the three, of course. Like he shot 33% overall on nine attempts. You want to expand it to distance though, he shot 35.7% on 5.6 attempts. That's really good uh, when you want to compare it to what we saw from the remainder of this roster. And if you want to take out the bad apple, just like with Rob Edwards, he had a couple bad ones. Like he was shooting like 66 percent going like four of six like hitting five threes in games just off of catch and shoots alone and even pulling up he would you know make an impact hitting some of his shots so you know he's kind of all over the place and he gave you kind of what we expected i think in this big stage uh we knew that he was going to be able to deliver and i think he actually got a bigger role than i would have imagined i thought he would be a guy like Uh almost a I'm trying to think of examples. Maybe like a Trey Jones to where you're out there like two, three games and the plug gets pulled. Like those lottery picks where you kinda already know what's up with them, just dabble them in the waters and then let the uh the G-League guys and other draftees kind of go in. But he had to play the full length due to injury, and he was still good uh consistently. I I'd say his best game probably was the opener against the Pistons, where he almost had more assists than their entire team. Uh, he actually might've had more. I think he had like 11 or 13 assists though. He was just wild um, throwing passes to everybody. But yeah, I mean, he's still been impressive. When you want to go in that order of who starts next to SGA right now, we got to figure out if Giddy's going to be at that too. I mean, Teo, he was decent next to SGA, uh, decent patrolling that starting point guard whenever injury kind of forced him into that spot he deserves big minutes. I think six man, you know, like 20 to 25, that's good with him. And, you know, I was just delighted to see, you know, there was no fluke. And obviously there wasn't. This dude led the team in minutes last year, but moving beyond them, I want to talk about the two, two way guys. And I guess a former one in Jalen Horde, we'll see how um, his future looks, but he goes in, and just like a Josh Hall, just like everybody else, you have those bad games. So the numbers get kind of derailed. 6.8 points and 5.6 rebounds for him, 0.6 assists. The big game for him was the final one, or I guess against the Pacers, where he hits those two threes, has that like little you know, 13-9 mini run where he has 10 of those 13 points. Just looks great all around. And, you know, he just was very, uh, successful in doing so, but he needs to be able to, you know, really excel from distance because you want to take out those two, three point shots. I'm not really sure if he hit any other ones. Cause he shot 22.2% overall in that area and he was still shooting them like two attempts a game. I'm, I consider that pretty respectable for him not being a good shooter throughout his career, but he wanted to take those shots and then penetrating. He's always very good. And he only got to line 2.4 tries on average in these games. Now you got to look at, you know, like when, like the frequency of him driving, of course, but he was looking to get active. He's always one to try to get calls and he didn't get as many as normal, but that's always going to be one of the bright spots of his game. He is a NBA level finisher around the basket and rebounding wise, he was pretty solid. So you know, I still think he's worth a two-way deal. If there was a third one, he probably would already have one, right? But, you know, we'll um, we'll, we'll monitor him. I'll definitely keep him uh, in these podcasts for the next week, so don't worry about that. Josh Hall, I already gave him that 10-minute segment. Kind of know the gist with him, but his averages too, just like Hordes, kind of got dwindled down you know he picked it up in the final one but he averaged 6.6 points 4.6 rebounds and 0.6 assists just a very good slasher I mean for 6.9 this guy is very nimble uh, on both ends of the floor and you know he he <laughs> If he gets that shot down, he's going to have a consistent pull-up because he has a wide array of the moving crossovers. He can do, you know, the between the legs and the push-crosses and then just, you know, speed right by your man. Like, he does have that in his bag. And I'd say for most two-way guys at his frame, you're not going to find that. He's kind of a -a one-of-a-kind guy uh, in terms of two-way contracts. Mainly, you're looking at big guys or you're looking at maybe like some guards who are decent at passing, kind of need to work out everything. He's, he's unique. So you do get that major glob. He showed it in the final one. You know, he did have those times where he just wasn't making shots, whether it was from three or the line, even slashing inside, he'd kind of go too strong, but I really like his touch. I like how he elevates. Like he's not just ramming right into you. He's making that soft contact initially, then kind of fighting off for it for his shot. But you know, moving on from Josh Hall, Jalen Hoard, you go into the first round picks that we had, and we didn't have enough to grade with Josh Giddy, to be honest. But that one play uh, with him getting that breakaway jam against the Pistons, people are going to hate me, but like, it was kind of a broken play. Like there was just a terrible read from the Pistons side of things. Like you get that initial high ball screen and you got two guys stuck. To the center at the top like he has a decent three steps on him Cade is kind of frazzled he's trying to get back into the play just not enough time for him um but it was a good two-handed dunk then he obviously gets hurt we're gonna have to see more from him like you know we saw a lot of good stuff from guys picked after him like a Kuminga Moses Moody was great Um, but you never know. If we saw five games from him, could he have been dropping a triple-double? My prediction was sure. Uh, I do think, though, when we saw him play in those five minutes, he was injured, so maybe take it with a grain of salt. He probably wasn't as mobile as usual, but the play kind of slowed down a little bit. It was a lot more just half-court play. When Teo was out there, you could kind of tell that you know, the speed of the game, they were looking to get in the fast break a lot more often than those five minutes you saw with Josh Giddey. But, you know, we'll just have to check him out regular season. He wanted to play in the final three games. It's a good thing that that did not happen because I do think that re-injury would have probably uh, occurred because that ankle did look really jacked up. Going beyond him, though, you get Trey Mann to where I think it's safe to say there was enough of uh, something to base things off of. He averaged nine points. rebounds and 3.5 assists over his time playing those two games had two turnovers in the mix there but you know this was interesting just like Wiggins where the shots were not falling in from distance Trey Mann never hit one he shot 0 of 6 overall from distance Um, but you know in those six shots I mean he did create for himself he did throw in that step back a couple times He's a good shot creator, and he's one of the better ones in this class. You're going know, to talk dribble pull-ups. He's also one of the best in this class. The big thing that we saw is just his lightning-fast speed when it comes to attacking the basket. I mean, he would take you in the half court, He'd just try to size you up with a combo, and he would be gone. When you're talking like Kyra Lewis from last season, just, just speed, all encapsulated in a bottle. That is Trey Mann and he's going to torch people, he's like that De'Aaron Fox almost, except this guy's 6'5", damn near 6'6", uh, you know, speeding around guys, but, you know, he gets that first step, it is elite, and he gets those, you know, 1-2, he has the ability to get inside, and he had that beautiful floater with the gators, showed it off a bit for the Thunder, but oftentimes, he actually wanted to get right to the rim, absorb contact, and take shots, and he did a masterful job in doing so and getting to that second level. Now he did get stopped. He only shot 24% overall. And I think, uh, when I looked at the shot chart, like he was probably like four or 14, uh, inside. So it wasn't great from him in that sense, but I am very happy. He wanted to take those shots. And, you know, when he is going up there, a lot of the times, you know, just a bad bounce, but He proved that he's going to be a very scary finisher. And just like what we've seen from SGA, he gets that step and he's not like a guy who's zooming up. He's not a Zach Levine where he's posterizing you. But despite that, like non elite athleticism, he makes up for it by just his space and, you know, just how physical he is down there. So I was really happy with that. I'd say as a passer, he did get tunnel vision a lot when it came to driving inside, but you know, you have guys taking 20 shots in the summer league. So I'm not really going to mark it off of him. He still was averaging those 3.5 assists to two turnovers. That's a pretty quality ratio in my opinion. Going past them though, we got the three guys. uh, I I did talk about Emmett Williams. We don't know really the case with him, but they really haven't had a track record with the Thunder beyond this point. Uh, Ryan Woolridge actually has. I mean, he played with the blue, but He kind of was lodged into an already full backcourt. I don't know if he would have played four games had it not been for injury, but he got the opportunity, averaged 14 minutes. In that span, he averaged 3.2 points, 2.2 rebounds, and 1.5 assists. And, you know, with Ryan Woolridge, he actually played a lot better than the numbers suggest because what he does is, you know, in the fast break, he makes the correct decision. When you're talking about why Rob Edwards had 23 points against the Spurs, the key factor was Ryan Woolridge because he's looking to make the outlet passes up the floor to get him open. They've had that kind of synergy and connection for a while now. So it was just kind of instant and instant, you know, bonding between the two to where, you know, they're kind of yin and yang. Where Rob Edwards, he's getting the points. Ryan Woolridge, not showing up that he's got an assist, but he kind of did set up. A lot of those plays, and he did have a lot of interior attacks. I think he only shot like one three over the course of things here, but you know, uh, he could be a competent three point shooter now. He's gonna be moving on from the blue. He signed a contract to play overseas, I think it's in like the second tier in Greece, it might be higher than that. Uh, I'll have to check back, but he did already sign a contract overseas, um, but. You know, he still was very good, and I'd say in his time with the Thunder, he really did make a name for himself. Or with the blue, because he really was at the bottom of the roster coming out of Gonzaga, didn't play much. Um, you know, kind of had, had that little break due to COVID. But looks like he's back on his feet, so I'm very happy for him. It's gonna suck not seeing him back in a blue jersey, though. And a guy we might see in a blue jersey, I'm not sure, honestly. It's Jalen LeCue. 21 year old, had him for six days. Before trading him off, got him in the Ty Jerome. Why am I calling it the Ty Jerome trade? We gave up Chris Paul, okay? But we got him, moved him for TJ Leaf, and was pretty good for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. He comes in here just like Woolridge, doesn't get a very good shot at things, but he plays the final two games and really was able to prove that he is a very good attacker. And we kind of already knew that. He's very athletic, but he averaged seven points and one assist in playing 14 and a half minutes, got to the foul line six different times through the course of those two games, and he's just kind of a really good penetrator, and I think when you check what the Thunder could use, especially in the Blues system, might as well look at Lequeu, seems like there's been mutual interest to get him back on the Summer League roster, the fact that we traded for him a year ago, it's a uh, good match moving on though, so I don't know. I'd say with him, I mean, he is kind of an acrobatic finisher, he has to put it all together when it comes to shooting the ball though. And offensively too, he can kind of get into some issues on that part. But, you know, I think that's kind of the point of the G League. You take these guys who are very good in one area or are solid in a few, and you want to blossom them into a well rounded player or someone very good in a specific area to where they can actually make that jump to The NBA or you know, they can go to a very high tier overseas league if you know that situation also arises for them But going to the final member of this roster you have oscar de silva and he was the sweetheart to begin the summer league This was the guy off the bench that everybody was praising Kind of by the end of it was not the talk of the town that went to rob edwards, but he averaged 7.5 points five rebounds and one assist over his time. He played four games. Actually, scratch it, not one assist. I think he had one assist overall. Average .2 a game. Uh, had one block a game and .8 steals. So defensively, he was pretty solid. I think he did have a game where he had like three or four steals though. So that's kind of where you get that from. Anyways, I didn't really like him as a pick and pop threat. I think you kind of needed that outside of what you had in Jeremiah Robinson Earl. You needed one off the bench. He was that for you, and I think it really did aid guys like Aaron Wiggins, guys like Teo when they were with that second unit, and even with Rob Edwards, too, uh, because you could space that floor and you could see a lot more of the penetration working out for everybody. So he was good. Uh, He's also moving on, though. I believe he's going back to his home land. I think that's Serbia. I might be wrong, though, Um, but yeah, I mean, he's already signed, played for Stanford, was very solid in his time there and he was kind of just everything um, that he needed to be by the way it's germany not serbia but he's moving on um in his time though yeah he was that role well-rounded like six nine do it all kind of small ball person that did gel with the rotation so best of luck to him best of luck to everybody on the current roster 13 guys played throughout this time here i don't know how many we're gonna see back but I hope to see as many as possible because there were a lot of good moments, even despite the fact they did get blown out by what felt like 50 points to the Pacers. History repeating itself from March. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.